forgot to turn it on. There we go. Hey, thank you all for being here. Glad you're here. And um, uh, Shale uh, reiterated, I guess, to our visitors, hey, if, if you're visiting here today, and uh, we, if you just fill out a little visitor card and just put that in the offering box. We don't pass a plate around here, so be grateful for that. You mentioned uh, in the bulletin there's a lost and found. It has now become a thrift store because there are so many things in there. So from all the bowls and platters and sweaters and whatever, um, make sure you look in there, things we have at the house. Thank you all for the last few weeks. Goodness, the last eight weeks have been really pretty um, pretty busy. So we have, like, I mean, we have been, it's like, um, I don't know about, y'all ready for just eating like normal now? I want to eat like an Amish grandmother now. I think I've just had enough of everything. So um, thank you for, uh, who you are, what you've been, the last few weeks have been simply amazing. So, um, hey, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and turn to the book of Acts? So we've been uh, in a quasi-series on the book of Psalms the last, I mean, just we've just been picking up different Psalms the last uh, four weeks, five weeks, because we were on a break. We finished Nehemiah, then we went through the book of John for, for last year, and now we're entering into brand new series next week on First and Second Samuel. And I'm hoping um, you come in here with not a lot of knowledge on First and Second Samuel because you're going to be blown away. I mean, you really are. There's not a movie production budget that can that can recreate the tale of what you're that, what you're going to hear. Um, the stories are going to unfold in a movie like fashion. It's pretty incredible. So get ready. So we're going through this. We thought we'd pick it up next week because a lot of people would be done with the holiday running around and stuff like that and vacations that they have, but. I didn't want to jump into another psalm at the beginning of the year and talk about maybe you know what Shale and I have been preaching on so much, which is um, rest and um, and and just taking time for yourself. We've been internally focused a lot the last five or six weeks, so I didn't know really, really where to go, what to do, um, and so I thought I just kind of landed in Acts and twenty in this speech. This speech is a man who is writing, well, Luke wrote the speech, but this speech is being given over, and I'm sure Paul would not want us to use this speech to talk about him, but he's a pretty good example. So um, before we get into it, uh, just so I can get my mind clear and I won't be a distraction, would you just pray with me so I can just get focused? Lord Jesus, please, God, speak through me. And uh, don't let me be a distraction in any way, please. The Lord, you would... Your word would just uh, really come out um, very alive in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me do that. So in Acts chapter 20, Paul is about to leave to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to go to Rome. And he knows in Jerusalem there's going to be opposition. And to say there's opposition is, that's an understatement. Um, Keep in mind, He's not just going to a place of opposition. He's leaving a place where he is bonded and connected with other believers in an incredible way. Those of you in the military know what it means when you say you had, you had a bond when you went through basic training. You bonded with that group. Then you bonded more and you're maybe um, deployed. You bo- There's a certain level of bonding. And this is a group of people he has bonded with in an incredible way. Keep in mind, the uh, service that's about to unfold here uh, on, in, in verse 7 is going to be one that's, um, 
I just want to paint a little picture. When did Christians meet? When did they, when did they hang out? When, did, when were their worship services? So Jewish culture, there was no such thing called Christianity, by the way. Rome referred to Christians as the Christ ones. Uh, the believers called themselves the way, a lot of them. And a lot of people who weren't Jewish, even some Jews, thought this was a radical Jewish sect. It was by a radical rabbi named Jesus. And so there's this, all this kind of confusion. And so where did Christians worship? Well, first of all, they would go to synagogues, and they would go to temples, and they would walk in there, and they would adhere to the hour of prayer. They would walk in and, and go to prayer at certain times, and they would keep up certain traditions, but they worshiped on Sunday night. The Sabbath was Saturday. Sabbath, theological, technical description, if I said the Sabbath, it would be Saturday. We as believers, under grace, we can call the Sabbath any day we want. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the Sabbath. He broke the law, the rule, the order of the day. And so sometimes I have friends ask me, hey, how is your Sabbath? What's your Sabbath? What is that? What is the day that you shut down and you close it out and that's for you? That would be the Sabbath I'm talking about. Um, in this day, in this time, I'm sorry, but scripture is written, Sabbath is Saturday. Christians couldn't worship on Saturday. We're not allowed. You weren't allowed to do anything on a Saturday. So when did they worship? They worshiped on Sunday. They called that the Lord's Day. Why did they call it the Lord's Day? The Christians called the Lord's Day because that was the day that Jesus um, came out of a tomb. That was the day that Jesus uh, was resurrected, the Lord's Day. It was also the day that others attributed to Christians. And he said, it's the Lord's Day because it's the first day of the week. Um, Sabbath was at the end of the week. Sunday was when Christians gathered. It was, and they worshiped, by the way, at night. So I want you to get a picture before we jump in here. Sunday night would have been worship time for Christians in homes. Why? Because there weren't any buildings to rent out like this. Uh, they certainly weren't going to be allowed in a temple or a synagogue. Some did, where the, maybe the priests were converted, or what we call completed. You don't really convert a Jew. You complete a Jewish person, you know? And so some, in some places they were. And in this place, there is, a, there is a church service about to break out. What you're about to read here can be, you can conjecture, and we can joke and that because the guy turned out to be okay. But, um, well, anyway, look with me at verse 7, chapter 20 of the book of Acts. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So, it's starting at midnight. This speech is about to happen. It's a very warm, hot room. I'm saying this for a reason, because of what's about to happen in the scene. When I say it's hot, folks, the hottest time of the home, those in, in engineering, construction, and that will tell you, at AC work will tell you, the hottest part of the home is not during the day. It's in the evening. It's when all the, all the wood starts to emit the heat and that kind of thing, which is why it's more comfortable to either go up in the attic first thing in the morning, um, maybe mid-afternoon. But you go up there at night, and you're just going to – it's incredibly hot. So it's near midnight. You're talking about probably 110, 120 degrees uh, in the room. People are fanning themselves, but it's not doing any good. Um, and then there were many lamps in – verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered. Again, I'm going to stop here for a second and say this. Luke, who's writing this, is a doctor. He's going to note certain things. It's midnight. There are lamps burning. Oil lamps adding to the heat. 
And Sidney says here, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. It became over, and became, uh, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down, bent over him, taken him to his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a while until daybreak. So he departed and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So Paul's preaching. It, Luke, by the way, says, and when he was talking a little while, which means he was talking, this service went all the way to daybreak, started at midnight. This poor guy falls asleep in an open window, drops and dies. Every preacher is in their life has had people fall asleep. I've watched you guys fall asleep. I wish I could have fall asleep, but I was speaking. I've, I remember looking over at Brett Smith one day, and I was like, man, there's our faithful deacon just praying for me right there. And I told him later, I was like, Brett, man, what's up? He goes, I was in a deer stand at 4 a.m. I'm really sorry. And, and, and you know, I, uh, I'm used to it. It's just one of those things where it just, it, it's, it's just life. But I've never had anybody die um, out of, falling out of a window. Um, so as you sit near the window for ventilation, I don't think Paul was excruciatingly boring, but I think he, you know, this, this young man falls out, and I can't imagine Paul running down that, those steps. Like, God, please, if you were to ever bring back life, do it to this guy. I will never have any, any I will never get any uh, thing but grief the rest of my life. And so sure enough, I don't know if they were doing, uh, I don't know what they were doing to revive him, I don't know if anything, but he said, there's life in him, there's life in him, and sure enough, they carried him away. Um, and so Paul goes on speaking. He goes on speaking, and uh, as they left, he goes to a ship. And he's going to go to the ship in verse 13. It says, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. So he had arranged himself to go by land. All right, I'm just going to keep reading this, by the way, 14 through 16. This is a doctor speaking, he's very methodical, very detailed. And so if you're wondering, why is all this in here? It's just because Luke is very detailed. As a matter of fact, by the way, later on in the 20s in the book of Acts, there is a story told as the longest recorded maritime disaster ever recorded. And it is still taught at Annapolis Naval Academy and, uh, because of Luke's incredible writing about a ship uh, sinking at sea. So this is who Luke is, how he writes. Verse 14, and when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and took him to Miltine. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios and to Chios, I'm sorry, until the next day until we touched at Samos. Until the day after that, I went to Miltos and Maltos. And for Paul, decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might spend more time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So we know exactly where he went, thanks to Luke sketching it out. The reason, the reason he's getting on the move is because he wants to be in Jerusalem as soon as he can. And then watch what happens in verse 17. Now Miletus sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, in just a second, we'll get to the speech. He's not going to Ephesus for a very important reason. Paul knows that if he goes to Ephesus, they are going to beg him to stay. Everybody know. Everybody knew that if you went to Jerusalem, your life was in your own hands. There were the underground church that was going on in Jerusalem was incredibly quiet. They couldn't. Um, they couldn't show themselves in public. This man used to be one of them. Was on 
Paul, remember, was part of the, the Jewish council, worked for the Sanhedrin, and this man was now one of the Christ ones. So the Jews, the religious Jews of the time, who were not completed, they are waiting and watching for any Christian to pop up. This guy, the chief of all of them, going into that city, guys, this is absolutely absurd. This would be the equivalent of an evangelistic Christian plopping yourself in the middle of Tehran and starting to preach on the corner of a street. I mean, you're going to... you're you're gone. There's no way. You're going to be arrested immediately. Who knows what's going to happen to you? And so in this particular case, there wasn't any law and order. They're going to stone you to death. They were given the, the privilege of killing anyone that had blasphemed. Rome would look the other way. So he's not going to go to Ephesus. Why? Because everyone in Ephesus is going to tell him, don't leave here. Ephesus was a stronghold. It was a bastion of new believers. You're going to be safe here, Paul. And so Paul now is about to embark on a speech. He's going he's gonna to give a speech, and this speech is meant to, for you and I to reflect and ask ourselves, how far do we have to go? Uh, 1867, D.L. Moody got to, got to England. He got to England and it sailed across the sea, incredibly sick the entire 14 days, 15 days. He gets there, said he lost like 20-something pounds. He, could, he, said he got off the boat. He looked around. He said, this will be the last time I ever come to this country. Those were his first words. He ended up going back five times. Why? Because he experienced God in an amazing way. And that's just what happens. I don't know. Uh, there's an old country tale about a guy sitting on a porch with a young man, and all of a sudden, all nine dogs jump up, and they take off, and they go running. And, and the young man says, the old man, are they, uh, how long will they be gone? He said, well, the first one will be back here in about five minutes. The second one, a couple of minutes after that, and then I'll be back, minus one of them. And so the, all the dogs came back, and finally the first dog that took off came back about an hour later. And he said, why did the first dog take so long to come back? He said, because he's the only one who saw the rabbit. The other ones didn't know what they were chasing. <laughs> and so oftentimes churches, if we're not careful, are like that. You go along in life, and you... Uh, and we're chasing things that we see, like, man, it's a godly church. That's a great place. This is where we want to, uh, and we're not sure what we're chasing. D.L. Moody knew what he was chasing. Paul knew what he was chasing. So we looked around at these other men. They don't necessarily know what he's going after. And so here we are, verse 18. And when they came to him, they said to him, this is Paul speaking here. You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks in the repentance toward the God, I'm sorry, toward God and of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we stop right here and look at this, I, I want to um, I always say stop right here. I got to pick up a new verbiage, but I want to bring yourself, I want to bring you to an attention on something. Did you notice the word, uh, the words, you've known me since the first day I set foot in Asia. He's been with them three years. Folks, they know him. They know him incredibly well. He's lived amongst them. Remember, he went over there and had to live with them, had to eat with them. He knew them, they knew him, and he's able to speak to them in a way that says, you know who I am. What's interesting about this, this is the only speech in the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts, given to believers that's recorded. There is no other speech given over to believers that's recorded except this one. 
And so and there are some great speeches in there. And so what he says here in this verse, um, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and tears. Interesting point. I want to bring you back to the, to the, um, to the age of the time. The word humility and humbleness was not a compliment. It's used 200 times in scripture. As a matter of fact, the word humility was used to describe someone who was weak. You have to remember the time in which we, or the world lived at that time, especially in that region. A man was a man based on his uh, pride of work, his knowledge, his strength. You would never show yourself to be humble. As a matter of fact, King James translators had a hard time putting this word in there because they knew it was being it was used remarkably as an insult only until christ came did this word ever become a character trait that was to be emulated because keep in mind the jews of the time anticipated a messiah who did they want they didn't want jesus a servant they wanted they wanted a messiah to come down in a militaristic fashion overthrow rome and restore jerusalem's capital that's it and so all of a sudden, when they look and see this Jesus that they have is now a servant, it is a humble person who is, a, who is a, this is throwing all the culture off. And then so for Paul to say, you know, I walked with you in humility. This is a, this is a trait you and I appreciate, but at the time would not have been something to emulate to your son. I want you to be humble. No, you would, you would tell your son to be opposite of that. Y'all drive by Bush Boulevard and Dale Mabry and see the big mansion on the side. You drive by and you just sit there and think, what on earth? What kind of money? How long has that thing been under construction now? What? Years. It's a, they, they ship over workers, right? Worker, workers come over from India. And so um, I was talking to Gracia and Arun from India at the earlier service, talking to them in a little bit about that. And, and um, uh, what, what's interesting is it's built by the Patel family who is a very benevolent family. I mean, folks, you go to any hospital, performing arts center, Patel's. The Patel Conservatory, the Patel Heart, Pepin, uh, um, Patel, uh, Heart Research Lab downtown. This is a really nice, benevolent family. And I'm thinking, why would they build this place on, in this particular location? Well, the reality is they're building it. Here's the reason. Listen, this is a culture. Again, we may not understand it as Westerners. They believe that anything they can do to bring credit on their ancestors and their name is their role and their responsibility. They believe that for every great-grandfather and great-grandfather before them, everyone that struggled in, in the fields working or in the slums doing whatever, until they built themselves up, they believe they were stewards of a name. And so by building this, they are saying the Patel family has accomplished. And we recognize all those in the past. So they're building it in honor of them. Now, we can look at ourselves and think, I don't get that. But that is the culture from which they come. So when you go to a culture and say humility comes before manliness and comes before courage, that's something that's hard to understand. Something that's interesting is um, when I see verse 19, here's the first lesson I get. And by the way, have you ever been to a believer's funeral? Have you ever been to a funeral of a believer? I know when you went to your grandmother's funeral, Megan, as sad as it was to say um, goodnight to your grandma, there was a resounding service because the woman had a resounding life. You go to a believer's funeral, and it's totally different than going to someone who's not a believer. Why? Because they're not a believer. Everything's boxed up. It's gone. It's over. That was it. 
I mean, if the religion held to what they believed, it's over. Which makes me, I beg to, I guess, throw this out. Why would you want life if that's it? Why? Not how. Why? If everything we have worried about, stressed about, been overwhelmed about, wins in the end except for a few fleeting moments of happiness. Or you go to a believer where everything we believe to be completion and to be that's going to be perfect is in the next realm. What started off in, as bad news ended up with good news in the gospel. And so the first one of the first lessons we can learn is verse 19 is this. We make sure that our community knows more about Jesus. Paul knew he had a role to play and to make sure people knew about Jesus. And so and you look at verse 19, it says, Serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through all the plots of the Jews. And then go on to look at the verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment, imprisonment and afflictions await me. I remember I went to, um, went to Afghanistan shortly after the invasion. I'll never forget going to... Uh, I drove up Windsor Park Drive to say goodbye to my mom and dad. And I had always, you know, I was, I was always faking it to where, um, oh, it's going to be fine over here. It's going to be fine over there. Because a long time ago, I had a medical relief agency. I was able to go to some crazy places. And um, in, in this particular case, I'm like, I think I'm going to. I mean, it was like the movies. Everything was weird, you know. The wind would rush through me, and you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. You'd see words on billboards, and I'm like going back to all these World War II movies, thinking, you know, the, the guy that would always say something in the movie, and it would, something would happen to him. Like this is it. This is it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go and say everything's going to be fine. I walk over to mom and dad, and I'm like, it's good. And you know, dad either he believed me or didn't care. I don't know. He's like, okay, see you later. Get the mom the door, and I'm like, I'm going to be fine. I could tell she knew something. And I'm like, mom. Nothing happens in the north, Mazar Sharif, where I'm going. You know, nothing happens in the north. The day I land, my brother, the spiritual discourager of the family, he comes to my mom and goes, there was a massacre in northern Afghanistan today. And so that was my mom. I, my mom's a wreck. I'm trying to communicate all's well. There's no weapon. I, we land in a war-torn area. I, I'm not there, you know, for any other reason to, to do good work. And so it's not like I can walk around and defend myself. And, and well, we were fine. But I remember thinking, this is it. This was it. Paul is saying goodbye, saying, this is probably going to be it for me. But it's not it for the journey. The gospel's not over. It is not over. What God starts, he completes. I was a senior adult minister at Idlewild for a little bit about a year and a half, interim senior adult minister. And in that time, I'll let you know that I took him on two cruises, one to the Caribbean and one to Alaska. I am no dummy, right? I mean, we connected, we bonded, we started having huge luncheons and Bible studies. And I mean, I was immersed in a group of believers that were just like, I mean, it was phenomenal. And so I was given a Bible study one day talking about our Jerusalem, what it looks like. And my mom was out there and she took notes. And, and, um, Come to find out, she started a Bible study at uh, Brighton Gardens. And so she started this Bible study and started flourishing, doing very well. And I forget when, um, when she passed, went to the, 
to the system or the ALF uh, to tell them that she uh, she wasn't going to be there for that Bible study. And I remember um, one a couple of them were the ladies. So we'll, well, you know, we'll be at this funeral, and they did, and they were telling me that. Oh, when she bring in that laptop and she'd say, I think this works here. I think this plugs in here. I think this goes here. And she would show DVD. And I'm thinking, are you talking about my mom? My mom? She had a laptop? I said, yeah, she bought one. She didn't know what to do. My mom couldn't understand a remote control. And, um, and so they said it always happened. It always worked. And when I went, I thought, well, it's over. The Bible study was so sweet. I certainly was in no place to take it. A um, month ago, Eunice Crompton says to me in the in the foyer out there, she says, hey, that Bible study your mom started, she said, I took it over just after she passed, and I've been carrying that on. And the encouragement of hearing that three years later, to know those ladies who were so dear to her, she would buy them every month a birthday cake and those who had birthdays. That was her family. And what God starts... He's going to see to a finish. He will. And so I look at this and I think, number one, he made sure the community knew about Jesus. Number two, he directed people's attention more to Jesus than to himself. Again, you leave a believer's funeral, you walk away going, I have so far to go. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked away going, I mean, before anybody could ever preach about me, I have so far to go. Paul was more concerned about bringing others to Jesus than he was himself and drawing attention to Jesus. That is what I love again about the many threads of this church that I love. It's the fact that you do so much not for the benefit of this church, but for the benefit of Christ. That's who we want to be. Don't worry about us. Don't worry about Creekside because the gospel is going to make it. No matter what happens to this church, this, there is no Creekside Church in heaven. There's not one named church that we have around us that's in heaven. So what do we strive for? We strive for this, for the accomplishment that Christ has given in all of us. But what happens, you get jaded over time, don't you? You get jaded. You're not as impressed with things or people anymore. I used to be impressed with Oh, wow, you know, do you see that person? Did you see this guy? Did you see this actor? Did you see this sports figure? And then what happens? You get older. You're just not as impressed anymore. You know what impresses me? Humility and godliness. That's what impresses me. It just does. I had a friend in high school. Now, I mean, there's like a whole Disney culture and there's a Disney cult now, right? I mean, you go look on Facebook and it's like Instagram. It's like you, there are people, I'm telling you, they are so into Disney. Well, in high school, obviously, we near Orlando, we had people like Disney. And so, um, this one friend, she couldn't wait to work for Disney. You know, I'm going to work for Disney, can't wait. She goes over there and works, works for Disney. I'm like, how was it? Like, after about six months. Nah, no good. What do you mean, no good? Well, it's all Snow White dragging on a cigarette in a break room. It kind of breaks the, it breaks the whole feel, you know? It's like, um, there is a, uh, there's something about what happens when you get jaded. But Christ has called you to something. He's called you to be in awe of nothing else and no one else but him. And so what Paul's saying is, don't be in awe over me. Don't be impressed with me. Be impressed with the fact that where I'm going, something amazing is going to happen. Have you ever talked to a financially distressed individual? 
You want to throw a cruel word out there is the word dream. What have you dreamt about anything? Like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm surviving right now. I'm barely able to hang on. How can I dream? Dreams are the first things to go in the middle of financial instability. Oddly enough, one of the greatest ways to get out of financial instability is to dream. Just to get away. Dreams cost nothing. The vision God can give you costs nothing. And sometimes just ask God to show me something amazing. Show me something incredible. And so what happens with us is we get so overwhelmed with our life that we forget what God's called us to do. Watch this next verse. This next verse is worth putting on an index card, worth putting on your, your mirror. This one is incredible. But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Folks, you read that over and over again, you're not going to react behind the wheel as much. You're not going to come home negative from work as much. This verse stands alone to remind us of this. Can you imagine if you walked around quoting a scripture? Quoting us. And again, the beauty of scripture is this. Again, it costs nothing for scripture memorization. Nothing. The word that is in here that can be embedded in your heart is something that can save you from a lot of agony. And so, think about this. Is I don't count my life of any value. Of any value at all. This, he, so Paul said, if I go, they take my life, they take my life. If you think about this, that I may finish my course in the ministry. So those, how about this? When you were first saved, when you first became a Christian, did God put into your heart something or an idea? Was there something that was put inside of your mind or your heart to do that you've since given up on? An ability or gifting that you have that you know you've wanted to use for the glory of God, but I'm not saying it's for any reason or fault of yours, but you've never done it. Why? Because life is mundane. Life all of a sudden happens. You get jaded, you get hurt in those things. You push off and you say, those are are idealistic ideas. And you put them aside. You're You're in spiritual survival mode. And so I ask you this. Is there something that God has given you that according to this, that you receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel. What, have you, what has God given you specifically to be able to do that no one else can do? And by the way, if you have a dream and you have an idea, I preach this so I was blue in the face for the college kids, don't share it to everyone. Because not everyone's going to get it. And the ones that don't get it will mock it and will discourage you. You guard who you share that with. But then do it. Um, I was going back earlier to the, the many pieces of the church that I love here at Creekside. And that is the most effective ministry you could do is what you could do. And do it. And we will come alongside and help. We don't need the glorification. We don't want it. You know, when, when Susan um, went out and did Sip and Shop and all you ladies went out there and helped in the inner city and and you've just an amazing ministry to women who live in really rough conditions. You know, we, it would have been easy to come back in and brag. You know, 
It would have been. But do you think they... Sure, they heard the name Creekside, I guess, in conversation. But it wasn't done to advertise our church. I mean, I had a, um, I had a time, one time, where I, I, was, I, was, I was so burdened because I had an event I was doing. It was going to reach a lot of people. And somebody said, hey, how's this going to impact the church? And have you ever had a comment thrown at you and you weren't prepared and you wish you would have been? That comment altered and affected me in ministry so long because I didn't know how to deal with it. Now, if somebody said that, I I imagine I'd be prepared. But I was so wounded to think, I really believed what we said. I thought this was kingdom building. I thought this was it. I told you guys about uh, one time um, Charles Stanley's son, Andy Stanley, he has a church in Atlanta called North Point. They, it was the first Sunday they opened up. Huge church, big church building. They move in there, and they pack it out. He pulls in. Andy Staley rolls up, and he looks over, and the small church called, it was a vineyard church, was overflowed, overflowed with parked cars from Andy Stanley's church. The whole parking lot was full at 9 a.m., 8 a.m., whatever, in that port, that vineyard church didn't have service till 11 a.m. He looks over, he's like, oh no, they didn't prepare. They didn't think to block it off. They didn't know. The next Monday, they get a phone call. Secretary goes to Andy Stanley and says, um, the pastor of the vineyard church is called. He says, oh no, oh no, I was going to write a letter. I was going to call him. He said, yeah, just give, me the, give me the call. He gets on the phone and he said, hey, it's so-and-so next door. He said, I, I just don't know how to express this and how to say it. And Andy said, no, no, you don't know. I'm sorry. I should have said, I'm sorry. I, I should have gone over. We should have blocked the parking lot off. He goes, no, no, you don't get it. We prayed for years that our church, that our parking lot would be full and overflowing with cars once more. He said, and you answered it, and we wept. And we sat around, we walked, and we sat there and thought, we never thought we'd see it. But we didn't know how God was going to answer it, but he did. That is a kingdom mindset. May we have that. I was in, um, I was in Ireland. Kenneth and we were in Ireland. We went to, I don't know if you were with us, we were in a small, it was after the big sports camp, we were in a VBS for a small church, and they walked us over to a, a beautiful cathedral. And a minister walked us over there and said, um, Hey, this is our beautiful cathedral. It's an average-looking look, Irish village. And I had deep down always had a check in my spirit about these really opulently built, magnificent buildings. Architecturally and historically, love them. Aren't they cool? All right, they're pretty amazing. But when you look around and think, anybody had to think and look at it and go, man, what could money have done to help out? But he walked in there, he said, why would, why would this village of coal miners and fishermen, why would they build this kind of structure? I don't know. He said, because we wanted to show everyone that this town believed in God that much. That we wanted to pour everything we could into sacrifice when we did everything at home, but we had some place to worship, and we gave the next man his due and his place where he could come in and worship God. And he knew when he walked in, it was a big God. And he said, it took generations and generations and generations that when they finally opened that door, they had gone back three, four, and five grandparents back 
that who had contributed to that church. And it was beautiful. But what happened when people walked in who no longer had to build? Arrogance. I mean, this is who, yeah, this is who we are. This is our, um, look at our beautiful cathedral. Have you ever met anybody that just acts like they've made it in life? They were born on third base, right? But they think they hit a home run. You know, they, you just look at them and think, how did you do, like, why do you act in this way? Because people walked in with no purpose. And so high church began. A lot of arrogance set in. And now we see the effects of it. What all these, these churches, most of, a lot of them, a lot of the big ones are gift shops, aren't they? You pay $15 to go around and take a tour. They forgot the purpose. Do not forget the purpose that God has built you. If you ever go to L.A., there's an original Queen Mary ship built by Cunard Lines in mid-last century, built to be an opulent luxury ship, and it was. It could hold 3,000 passengers, about 2,000 crew. Big ship. And what's amazing is you walk into the ship now, and you're going to see a room that's opulently restored to what it originally looked like where a couple would have stayed. Ornate silver, linens, that kind of thing. And then you walk over to the next room, it looks totally different. Why? It's retrofitted to look like it did in World War II when it was refitted to be a troop ship. That same room that held two people now held 16 people. It was no longer 3,000 passengers and 2,000 crew. It was 2,000 crew, 500 men on deck with, arm, uh, with anti-aircraft um, guns, and 15,000 troops. 15,000. The reality is that ship held a purpose beyond what those who built it ever could imagine. And if you're not careful, we can become just like that cruise liner. We can be somebody that looks good, that appears to be good, and it looks like, well, that's a famous, that's a famous liner. It's a liner that gets a job done, but we were built for more than that. And if we as a church and you as an individual look at your lives and sit there and think, what can you do What can you do that you never thought you were designed to do? This is what Paul is saying. This is why he's saying, I have no value. Why? Because God has given me more value than I can ever imagine. Why does he say he's humble? Because he knows in the next life, he doesn't have to be humble. That everything's complete. There's no more inadequacy. There's no no more insecurity. That's the beauty of Paul's life. Now go on and read verse uh, 25. And now behold... I know that, not, that none of you among you, I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God or the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring you to the whole counsel of God. All right, just to break down verses 26 and 27, which is interesting. Um, he mentions he did not shrink twice in this area. I did not shrink from that, from, from tell, I did not I didn't back off. I didn't stay away. There was a story of a, of a man who um, had come across to a bridge. The bridge had an open gap in it. And because he noticed the taillights of the cars, it was snowing pretty heavy, were going off the bridge. And he stopped. He gets out. He warns um, some uh, oncoming cars. He's waving. Can you imagine in a blizzard somebody waving out there? They think, well, he needs help. And they want to help him. They w- went right off the bridge, too. And then finally a bus is coming. He hears him coming around a corner. And he, gets a, he says he is just going to do everything he can to stop the bus. And he did. The bus slid kind of diagonally. The bus driver gets out to yell at him and all of a sudden sees the bridge is, is broken in half. Uh, the bus driver repositions the bus to keep any cars from coming across. Now, I don't know. I think all of us would do that to some degree. We would do anything we could to save a life. When Paul says here... Um, 
I am innocent of the blood of all. He says this, I have done everything I could do to tell people about Christ. Let me, let me be really clear on this so we're all understanding. You cannot be held responsible for someone's reaction to the gospel or the, to the response. You cannot be. There are times we need to interact with people and let them know in the smallest of ways this is what the gospel means. Guys, it is so easy to do if you take a person and where they are and start, if, if you're saying, I'm shy about talking to people, do this. It, it about anybody exhibits some sort of godliness. Just watch for it. In conversation, say, you know, you remind me of the gospel. You remind me of the love of Jesus. You want to see an unsaved person, the person who doesn't know Christ, bug-eyed and lean in, you tell them that. And then tell them some things. Because folks, they've been beaten up. They've been run through the mill. They have been told how wrong they've been their whole life. Find those good things. Remember, Jesus is the one who walked up to the woman of the, Samar- the Samaritan woman at the well and asked her for a drink. He knew she had value to him. And so, so when he says, I'm released from the blood of everything, understand this, I have, I have done all I can do, but I can't judge everybody's response. And by the way, a side note, as a parent, as a grandparent, if you're looking at things and going, this is not how I want intended, this is not what I wanted the children to do, this is it. Understand, you did all you could do. You are not held responsible for the response and the reaction of people. You just need to know that. That's a healthy bone I thought I'd throw out there. Um, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are, who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here's some takeaways. Ready? The first one is this. I'll make sure my community knows and my friends know about Jesus. Number two, I'll direct people's attention more to Jesus and not me. Number three, invest in God's body in this church. Isn't it amazing? God has a body and it's this church. As jacked up as the church is, he died for it. And he wants it to thrive. That's crazy. What does a church look like? What does it not look like? It looks like, I hope it looks like your living room. Just the way it was well intended for them to build a church for a high view of God. And there was nothing to matter with that because that was their style. That was their way they wanted to worship. I'm totally convicted this church needs to be a place that looks exactly how you'd be in your living room. You come here dressed the way you dress in your living room. You come here comfortable. Because if we remotely build another environment that becomes an enemy or a, or a work against your faith and your walk, we're doing you a huge disservice. We want this to be an extension. When you go back, you have a godlier home, a godlier place to live. This is what we want. And so um, another thing he says, he's faithful to do what Jesus told him to do. 
that would be a big challenge to you. If you were to walk away and say, am I being faithful to what Jesus has told me to do or what he's gifted me with? Are you? Look at the next few verses and we'll end this here. Verse 36. And we had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So, have you ever started something and you messed up? And then God's grace came through? I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. Thanks for being honest. You always leave me up here alone. <laughs> I uh, used to have fun as a college minister. I found a place in Montana. If you think I was selfish about this, amen, you're right. I'm sorry, there it is. This place in Montana needed a vacation Bible school. Like, run. Like, yeah, everybody's in farming. We really can't afford the younger people to go in there during the long days. And, you know, well, Montana's, sure, we could go out there. So went out there six, seven years. We'd take a group, 50, 60 people, uh, college kids. I mean, we would we'd diligently serve the Lord in the morning and then hike all day long, go into the mountains, have a blast. We'd take some of the youth from the church. We, I mean, we, we, we had a wonderful trip. Well, this one trip, I don't know what happened, but the demons fell into the rental vans that we had. Two of them hit deer on the road, right? One of them hit a deer, went back. Another person hit the, uh, to go get a new van. Another person hit the van. Another one, uh, somebody, uh, a tractor backed into it, hit it, clipped it. So we're down three vans. Had to replace some rental car agency. They have to drive back an hour and a half every, yeah, every time. Is just looking at us like, what are you guys doing? Which is why you always buy the insurance. Right? Well, then we're take. I'm with a van, and I got another van with me. We had six vans, and uh, five or six vans. And I, I looked at one of the pastors. And I said, "Hey, we're going to go up top of a mountain." I mean, there was uh, folks. There's no car. It's a dirt road. This is not Montana Yellowstone with Winnebagos in front of you. There's nothing, nothing out there, but a tractor occasionally. Town, sixteen hundred population over an area that's from here to Orlando kind of thing. It's nothing. So we're going to go up the mountain. And Jack Oliver, who was one of the pastors I served with at the time, said, I'm just going to kick back, watch some old westerns, and you guys take off. So I, I said, all right, how about if I have so-and-so drive? And this kid was going into, uh, I forgot what they called it, um, school for Navy SEALs. He's going, in, he's going into Naval SEAL training like the week we get back. So I was like, well, you can drive him minivan you know you're gonna be saving the country so here you go there's the keys so he gets him back i mean we take off we go up top had a great time mountain didn't see a soul we're coming back down and there's a car coming our way it's a dirt road he's looking at me he's waving at me i don't know what's going on so i slow down he's lost i'm like where is he going but i'm trying to well like yeah there's nothing but a mountain up here he goes okay well all of a sudden i look in the mirror and i see the van plowing down towards us oh no and I was braced. There was nothing, there's no warning you can give, nothing. And all of a sudden, I look up and the van's gone. And, and somebody said, the van went off the road. Went off the, it went off the mountain. I mean, the, folks were talking 2,000 foot drop. I got out. I still choke thinking like, I mean, this was, this was I, I, you know, I can't imagine. My friends were in there. I get up there and the van is lying on the side, 20 feet down on a boulder that caught it. And again, 2,000 feet down. 
<sighs> and I mean, and these kids get out like they had just ridden a roller coaster. Like, whoa, yeah, this is crazy. You know, I'm like yelling and, uh, you know, speaking Greek to them, I'm sure. And so I'm like, get up here, get up. And they got up and I'm just, I mean, I am so sick. And I'm like, all right, everybody's fine. It wasn't a scratch. It wasn't a scar, nothing. I look at the, uh, I look at the, um, the other car. I said, you, do you have a phone, you know, or radio or anything? Because phones didn't work out there. Because yeah, I got it. I'll, he's, he went up to the top of the mountain, calls and in, and all of a sudden we hear down in the town. I mean, this so far away, you hear an air raid siren go off. That's how they called their firemen in. You know, things coming, and I'm like, oh no, this is awful. And the kid, I see the kid who's going to, to you know, SEAL school, kind of sitting by himself. I'm like, bro, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't no? I know. I shouldn't have been going that fast. He goes, he goes, man, it's over. So what do you mean? He goes, I can't go to school with a with this accident like it's done like, they're pretty strict about this like has to be a certain period of time and I mean this was his dream all his life and I'm like this, um, hey do me a favor come here and I said you take orders pretty good right yeah, so I never throw this out but I'm on this trip I'm your pastor I'm your authority get in that van take all these minions home and get down this mountain and give me your keys He's like, no. I said, take the order and go. Just get. And I looked at the guy who, who he felt bad because he caused the accident kind of thing. I said, if you don't mind making yourself scarce. And uh, so I'm up there all alone. Here comes an hour and a half later, the closest Montana State Patrol officer. He rolls up. He gets up there. He comes in. And he says, well, um, looks like uh, we had a little mishap. I said, yeah, yeah, just a lot of dust on the road. And, and I never at one point, don't judge me. I'm sorry. Just understand. I'm being, I'm just... I'll get to it in a minute. And so I'm like, yeah, I said uh, a lot of dust on the road. I never at one point was I saying I was driving. It was conditions. I was speaking third party. And, uh, and he said, well, we'll see. bring out this weird tow truck with his long arm to pull this thing up. It's now getting sundown. He says, if there's a flat tire on it, I can just say it was a mechanical failure. But it wasn't. He says, I got it right. You take it. I said, no problem. <laughs> no problem at all. I got this. And... He said, but uh, it's Montana, you're out of state, you have to see the judge in the morning. I'm like, I do? And he goes, yeah, you have to, so, you know. And so the next morning, um, I go to the judge. I walk in this county courthouse. I ask the secretary of the judges. I go, and no joke, he is a, is a John Deere baseball cap. He's sitting at a desk. He's just working. He's got his flannel shirt on. He says, how you doing? I said, uh, good. I said, I'm here because the, he's a, the van going off the side of the mountain. Yeah, we kind of know everything around here. And I said, you heard about it? He goes, yeah, we heard the sirens. And, you know, and said, um, you, uh, you okay? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, um, well, you got the fine. Or you just want to talk to me a little bit and tell me what happened. And I said, well, I need to tell you what happened. I need to come clean. And I, I need to, I, I want to talk to you as a man to man. And but if it comes down to it, I'm still going to have to stand by my statement if, it happened, if I have to. But here it is. And I told him what happened, everything. The kid, this and that. And I said, this is off the record. And there it is. And I, was, I couldn't sleep at all last night. And I said, I need to apologize to the kids because I just told them, like, I'm going to lie. But I, you got to understand, this was the reason. And he said, all right. Takes a ticket. He tears it in two. He says, you have a good time in Montana now. He throws it in the trash. 
I saw him, by the way, a couple of days later in the in the Moose Lake Cafe or whatever they have there. And he walked in, and I went to wave. He goes, don't wave. <laughs> and, uh, and so all I know is this, that in my minute little world, I knew that no matter what was out there, God was going to be there. And no matter what happened, God would protect me. The reason Paul did this is because he knew he could finish strong. And that would be the other lesson for us. Are you prepared to finish strong? And lastly, did you give more than you took? If you look at verse 24 one more time. With the knowledge that God's grace and strength was going to be there, read this. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Folks, I close with this. Our faith is the only institution where you can take your mess-ups, your screw-ups, your failures, and use them as the greatest resume and story to the greatness of God. No matter where you have failed, no matter what you have done in your shortcomings, no matter your fear of the future, it does not alter the character and the nature of God. The bad news started with sin on us earth. The good news has ended it. And it is up to us to give this good news to a group of people and to a world of people who live under the realm and the religion that bad news wins. What's holding you back? No matter what happens, the grace of God will catch you. What's keeping you from doing the next amazing thing? Because no matter what it is, God is already there. What a great God we serve. Would you pray with me?